Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, English teacher and school principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at at Sarah S.A. Johnson. Be sure to subscribe to the In Awe Podcast so you can join me each week as I feature women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the Anna Podcast and our final episode on this uplifting sisterhood series. Each of the women in this series has meant a lot for my own journey, and it has been an absolute deep honor to share each of them with you. Today's guest will close us out with huge smiles, my friends. Michelle Taylor is an exceptional family and consumer science educator in Northwestern Wisconsin. She holds her Bachelor of Science from the University of Wisconsin-Stout and a Master's Degree in Education from St. Mary's University. Michelle has many passions and brings them into the classroom with her every day as she works to help new generations of students learn their path. She is a devoted and loving mother of two young sons. In this episode, we discuss Michelle's passion for vocational education and her path into the profession, experiences Michelle has created for her students over the years, Michelle's influence as a sister, and we get an awesome insight into the power of her profession. It was such a joy to hold this interview with a woman that I have known, loved, and deeply respected for the past 20 years. Friends, Michelle is my husband's older sister, and one detail we completely forgot to mention is that they grew up 11 months apart. Their family stories are so beautifully ingrained in my heart, and I have heard them recounted over the years, and I am deeply honored to be connected with this bright, talented, passionate, and service-driven woman. What an honor to share with you Michelle Taylor and my sisterhood story. Welcome, Michelle Taylor, to the In Awe Podcast. I am over the moon to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you. We want to hear a little bit, of course, about your current context. So some of my listeners probably don't know who you are. They're going to know you by the end of the interview, of course. But you would do just share a little bit more about you so that they can get to know who you are as a person and where you hail from and what you're up to in this world. Sure. Um, my name is Michelle Taylor, and I am actually the sister-in-law to Sarah. I am from a small town uh, in northern Wisconsin, so Grantsburg, Wisconsin, and I actually have the privilege of teaching in the same town that I grew up in, so which is a really different experience for um, many people that are working in a profession. A lot of people don't be able to go back home to, to do what they love. I grew up in a traditional family. I have two brothers, and now, now I'm in my 40s. Oh my goodness, I can't believe that. I have two small boys. I have a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old, Evan and Blake, and they are just the joys of my life. I am a school teacher and I teach family and consumer sciences education, which is a vocational subject. And I have to tell you, it's one that I am passionate about and I love. I teach grades nine through 12 and I've been teaching for 21 years now. It's something that I love, the subject, something that I love. And I think more and more school districts um, need to and are in certain ways and, and parents, especially over this last year, are finding that those skills of at-home living um, are becoming more and more important. And those, those skills of family and communication are also very important. It's kind of just been uh, a great year as far as the eye-opening of context 
for many families and with the profession that I'm in. I just love that you went there. And so we are going to dive into your professional world. I know you're passionate. I get to see that up close. I've been able to witness it for two decades. Oh, man. (laughs) I know it's nuts. But I just want to share, listeners, you have such a gem with you. I am obviously she's here. Michelle, you're here on the Sisterhood Series because you are a sister-in-law to me, um, older sister of my husband. Very, very little older. I have to. I know. That's right. Like we got to get into that just a little bit because I know that we're going to have family members and friends that listen to this podcast episode. Right. It'll be kind of fun to go down that. But I just wanted to make sure that listeners heard that Michelle is just such a brilliant educator. And I really know that you would never toot your own horn. So I'm going to be doing that for you throughout the interview. But I'm so excited that you have this beautiful current context that is so applicable. And honestly, in the pre-chat, we were just talking about the fact that, you know, listeners and people who follow me will see that I've been doing a little more cooking. And I am the polar opposite when it comes to domestic skills and qualifications. And I, you know, I've been hearing wonderful things from Michelle on tips and tricks over the years, and I'm finally implementing them now. So I am a perfect example of why your context and your uh, content is so critical mm-hmm. <laughs> for families. So it's so good. First of all, since we're in the series of sisterhood, one of the things that I want to do is just lift you up. I shared briefly with the listeners, I've been in Michelle's family for, uh, well, I've known her brother for 20 years in December, and I'll never forget meeting you. One of the things that struck me early was that you said you've been teaching for 21 years, and you went through your program pretty quickly to become an educator. Yeah. Would you share about that process? And and first of all, how fast it went. And second, what got you interested in this line of, of a profession? I I have always wanted to be a teacher uh, ever since I was probably in middle school. And the reason being, I had a I had an educator in my life and I was in 4-H for those of you country folk. Um, I was in 4-H club and I was teaching a little segment in about fifth or sixth grade to some of the younger elementary kids. Um, I don't know if we were doing a craft or whatever it was. And I had a teacher at the time look at my mom as I was doing this uh, teaching at the 4-H meeting. And he told my mom, she's going to be a teacher someday. And from that moment, it stuck with me. And I have wanted to be a teacher ever since. So it's been since middle school. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to teach right away. My first major actually right out of high school was early childhood education. Um, And then I decided that although I love working with little kids, I wanted to do something. And a long time ago, one of my favorite uh, teachers always told me, you figure out what your favorite hobbies are and you figure out how to make that your job. And I thought to myself, well, I love teaching kids, but that's only one of my hobbies. I only, you know, is spending time and doing things with them. All of my hobbies are in family and consumer sciences. And so that is when I switched majors first semester into college. And I thought, well, you know what? There are 16 areas of content in family and consumer sciences, and I love them all. And one of the reasons I love my job so much is because of the vast variety of information and content that I teach. I do not spend one block a day. We are on a block schedule at the school I teach at. Every single block of my day is a different subject area. Um, So the variety for me is 
pre-built in because I'm constantly talking about different things. I go from child development topics in the morning to um, international foods in the afternoon to basic culinary arts uh, and so and so on and so forth. We do a lot of different um, different topics, and that's probably one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it. In in reality, it's also too because I feel like students can gain so many skills from it, not only soft skills, but skills for life from my content area. Um, it's those classes that they remember because they're doing hands-on work. And no matter if we're trying to prepare them for a college or for a career right out of high school, it's the skills that we can teach through problem solving and creative uh, thinking and communication, all of those types of things that they can use in every single career uh, field they would possibly go into. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, when I think back to college and going through college, I did go through college. I went uh, just got done in three and a half years um, instead of four with my undergrad. And that's pretty much because, again, I listened to my teachers growing up and my economics teacher in high school said, the faster you can go make it through, the less you will pay an interest in your college loans. And so I right away was like, all right, how am I going to get through college as quickly as I can and still get as much out of it as I can? Um, and so that is what I did. I made sure my schedules were um, coordinated and I did take summer classes one year. So that way I was able to make it through um, in three and a half years instead of four. So I've been teaching, yeah, um, in two, I've taught in two different districts. I spent the first four years in the, in a neighboring town and then was able to come back to my hometown uh, to teach. And I've been here ever since. And I am just enamored with you. I love listening to like the lift in your voice and the passion that you have when you talk about the content and the variation. And so I know you've referenced because you know it so well that what did you say that there are 16 yep in our national standards there's 16 core areas in family and consumer sciences that's awesome and so i wanted the listeners to hear just a little bit about that since we went down this path let's stay there one of the things that i love is you're always creating you're always coming up with new ideas inventive ways to get kids engaged i know you've taken kids overseas and i know that you also started a store you want to talk about like a passion project that you have rocking with that? I really enjoy uh, what I do. And so, and usually I go full bore with whatever uh, projects we are doing. Like I said, I'm passionate about the content. And so with whatever it is, um, I do have, we have a design, elements of design, and we talk about design not only in apparel, but design in interior design, design and graphics, um, all of those things kind of still fall within our content area. Um, and so some school districts focus on the apparel design of it. Some people focus more on the interior design. It was my passion to try to, especially looking at the career pathways that my students were going into, I wanted to create a um, program that was diverse enough that I could incorporate many different areas of design into one pathway or series of classes that students could take. So we um, now offer a design series through our school district, and it starts out with an elements of design class. Uh, this is, would be a basic, basic class that any student interested in any area of design 
could find interest and uh, gain a lot of information from. Uh, from that, we then uh, devised the Pirate Design Lab, which actually we manufacture. So we work with the manufacturing as far as techn- technology education. So we work with them. But in my room, we do all apparel design as far as um, vinyls. We do wall vinyls. We do embroidery um, and actually have set up a online business for this. So at the moment, our online business is nonprofit. And so uh, our sports teams, our community um, like types of organizations that are affiliated through the school, they can order products through us uh, at cost. And then my students design them based upon client input. So they can tell us what they're kind of thinking, if there's any ideas that they may have. Um, We put together designs for them as far as templates and mock-ups. My students are then able to go back and forth with the clients to do editing um, of designs, and then we manufacture and produce them all. So the students are able to work in all aspects of the manufacturing and design process um, up until we obviously bill out, uh, and they're a part of the billing as well for the invoicing. So it's great. It's all the skills that they're going to maybe be able to see and use and see maybe where they fit as far as if they're interested in some type of design career, what they most enjoyed in the process, and maybe there's a career for them in one of those areas. So that tends to be one of the passions that we have. And it's been very successful. I have to tell you, many, many items of clothing and uh, many items as far as even the pirate wear for our community education have come out of our department, which is nice. Well, it's not a surprise. And I love this because I know you said 21 years, none of that was in your undergraduate work. No, none of that was. (laughs) My undergraduate work was how to run the, like, I mean, I still, it's like I still remember doing the presentation. All right, here's the overhead projector. How do you like? <laughs> how do you make overheads? <laughs> so no, it's quite different now. Obviously, it's kind of shocking when I think about this. Well, first of all, I wanted listeners to hear because the sisterhood, right? I've always been so enamored with you, but we've never worked. You know, like we as we're educators, we're fairly local. We live around an hour away, but we've never actually collaborated professionally, and that just makes me sad. And so my wheels have been turning a little bit. But I knew a little bit about this lab because I remember I was at a family event that you were telling me and you're, yeah, your laptop open, you're showing me the website. And I was watching you and I was thinking from the lens of a principal about how dang lucky your learning community is to have your passion as a teacher. And just as a person and as a, a woman and somebody who just loves you thinking, uh, you, you give so many of your gifts away to people that is just so fantastic because you have grown your own content knowledge. Like listen to you using the terminology about clients and invoicing and billing and all of these things. You're talking about community development. These are all things you've had to learn as you go, which is like the consummate educator, right? Like mm-hmm. in our time of hyper change. Yes, definitely. And so I just wanted to just pour into you. I I find you so skilled and passionate and amazing. And also as somebody who's observed you over these 20 years, such a brilliant mind. You probably don't see this in yourself or, um, 
probably are uncomfortable with that being uncovered, like that, that layer peeled off of you, but you have proven yourself over and over to be one of the most smart thinking, brilliant people. I know you're quick, you're efficient, you know how to do things. Well, obviously just listening to you talk about the fact that you were influenced by a teacher to get through your program in three and a half years and you devised a plan to do that. I'm just like, I'm blown away by you. So I just wanted to share that with you publicly so everybody could hear it. You are absolutely amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So I also wanted the listeners to hear this too, because one of the things that I love is that in a time you were in an industry or choosing a content area when there were a lot of cuts in education for your content area. Then there still are. Oh, sadly, right? Right. Very sadly. Yeah. So I want to have an opportunity for you, first of all, to have a platform. And and I know we talked about, we alluded to, you've already shared some really great reasons why your content area is important. But I also wanted you to just talk a little bit about your influence because you went from one small district to a larger one and your program grew, did it not? It it has grown. Um, I... I am actually on overload again (laughs) this year. Um, And so that tends to be the trend in the fact that I think my passion for what I do um, shows and I try to make my content very relevant for the students, um, whether it's something that they're interested in now or a skill that they maybe can gain for later. And so because of that, The students are really interested uh, and tend to take classes that I offer. Um, It it has been interesting watching the evolution of what we used to refer to as home economics to, um, for a while, people were calling it FACE, um, and now it's family consumer sciences education. I feel like there's been an evolution, and I remember... um, trying to describe to people what I did. And they're like, oh, you do home, you do home ec. And I said, well, it's not just stitching and stirring anymore. And that <laughs> is completely true. Um, and so to try to get that, um, the message across, especially through the generations or in smaller towns, it's not just stitching and stirring. There's a lot more that goes on um, behind the scenes with many different types of content area. So it's one of those things that you have seen, though, in many districts drop off as standardized testing has been become more important or deemed more important for state report cards, etc. Um, but I feel like many people, especially at local levels and in family levels, haven't necessarily agreed with that. And in many small towns, just like mine, the support for any kind of career and technical education or the basic skills is still very, very high. Um, I've been blessed to work in a school district that, that sees the need for it. The community wants it. Um, and everybody's very supportive of it. It's Sad when programs, no matter what program they are, gets on the chopping block because of enrollment. And I understand the issues uh, related to enrollment, especially in some smaller districts. But really, we need to look at not it's not just about teaching a kid to take a test um, all the time. It's about making sure that they're able to use the skills that they can develop in high school or in middle school, whatever, uh, areas that you have and be able to actually use and apply the skills. So it's funny because my students are always, I mean, we do a lot of reading and we do a lot of math in my classrooms, 
Um, and we do, you know, even a lot of writing and they're like, what are we doing? This is a math class. I'm like, every class is math class. Every class is reading class. It's just the content of what you're reading and what you're doing math on is different. And they, they giggle at me all the time because I'm like, oh, math is so fun as we're doing fractions for, you know, in the kitchen. And they're like, no, it's really not. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. Look at this. And, and, but once they get it and they're like, oh, this is, this is what the math teacher was talking about. I'm like, yes, this is exactly what the math teacher was talking about. But usually it's just because it's in a different setting sometimes too, the students all of a sudden get that aha moment. Um, And I think that's really fun to watch and observe. I got to tell you, it's just feeding my spirit so deeply to listen to you because I'm just visualizing you in the classroom. I'm also layering on my own experiences of being so blessed to be able to supervise family and consumer science teachers who are so like-minded like you. And one of the best parts, I know you mentioned you know, this accountability piece and and I'm going to just put my, I mean, skip say it. I don't often talk about my feelings on education on all aspects, but that hyper-focus on, you know, math and reading really did a detriment to our overall pedagogy and our focus on the whole child. And what I see after being in the profession for all these years, just like you, is a swing to the whole child, right? That we don't have to just be mm-hmm. test takers, that we yep. don't just have to be able to, um, you know, memorize and and wrote and do all these things. But my favorite teachers to lean on are teachers like you when we would talk about performance-based assessments. Because <laughs> as an English teacher, I mean, yep. I wasn't trained up super well on performance-based assessments. I mean, we all learned differently how to figure out how to figure out what the kids were learning and their thinking. But man, you that were trained up in these professions of the vocational areas and all of these things, you knew what performance tasks were when Common Core came out. So like you were the people we leaned into to help us figure out how do you actually demonstrate learning instead of just thinking, right? Or memorization. Right. Well, and and that started at the state level. It really did. I mean, our content standards for, and when we're looking at our content standards and establishing our essential standards, breaking them down into learning targets, really, they are performance-based tasks. Um, the students have to demonstrate the skill of preparing or they need to um be able to actually demonstrate, you know, a specific design element skill. And so right away, it was a performance-based task. It always has been for us. So it's really nice to see. And I I mean, I have to give kudos to even all the way up the chain through the state. I, I think Wisconsin's done a great job making sure that it's now even, you know, um, making sure vocational education is as important as anything else now that it's going to be on the state report card as far as a percentage of the state report card making sure that we're having kids career and college ready um, is a huge milestone for vocational education as a whole making sure that we have that fair you know that foot in the in the door with everything else but it's it's been great to see the evolutionary change of it um, and now people are back and I and the state has come around and said, you know, this is really important. We need to make sure it's in the report card and that everybody knows um, that 
it's going to be great for all students and it's vital. It's so good. And I love hearing that from you. We're geeking out on terminology hardcore here as two educators. But sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I, I think it's so good because, yeah, as you mentioned, even just, um, you know, 10 years ago when we had new assessments coming in and we had um, AC, maybe not 10 years ago, eight, when we had ACT coming in and we had work keys that were saying it's important, but we didn't do anything with those assessments really. And yep. so that's, that's good to hear. But I also just, I, I, Before we move off of this, since you mentioned the state level, I'm going to link the video for your project that you had where you were emphasized on the Department of Public Instruction. (laughs) But would you want to talk about that, like that process of being um, illustrated and and the context behind that? Sure. Um, I was selected as an award recipient for a DPI award, and really it was based upon... um, having my students go out into the community and being involved in the rural community and with the library um, and getting involved with um, just just interacting, really. Uh, and so what it was is I had two programs prior to COVID, of course, because now we aren't able to go out this year due to restrictions. Um, And so there were two elements of the program. I have an independent living course that's offered just to seniors. And we talk about uh, everything really in there that that an 18-year-old may need to know coming right out of school. So we do tons of different units. But one was um, Teens for Tots. And Teens for Tots, there's a local program at our library. And it's a preschool story time. And so my seniors basically um, led and read for Teens for Tots every once a month. So they developed the lessons. We went through how to prepare a lesson, what you needed for a lesson. We talked about child development. We talked about skills that this ch- the children would have at a specific age. We um, went over materials that would be safe. Uh, they each had to choose a topic, find books, find um, resources for parents to be able to take home afterwards. And then we would go to the public library and they would actually teach the Teens for Tots program or the, the preschool story hour time once a month. We also did a Seniors for Seniors program. Our community has a care center um, connected to the local hospital. And so this extended continuing care center uh, has a lot of older residents from the community or you know, surrounding communities in it, and they're permanent residents there. And it's very interesting. Um, a lot of times we feel a lack, we, we know that they're there, but there's a lack of connection, especially with our youth and our elderly residents. So what we did was we did pairing up. Um, and so my students paired up with uh, an elderly resident at the continuing care center And they were um, first given their name and information and they went and they introduced themselves and, you know, shared some information. Some of the residents were, you know, had some medical issues. Others were pretty well high functioning, but they developed relationships. We went once a month to the care center throughout the year and developed relationships with the people uh, and would spend about an hour and a half with them once a month. It was really a great experience. Uh, the families of the residents loved it. They we had a we had a couple residents pass in the time in which my students would have been with them, and we got notes and letters from their families talking about how. 
their loved one had been so appreciative of the company and that some a young child, like a young student, a teenager, a senior in high school would have been interested in talking to them. And my seniors, I got to tell you, they would walk out of there every day. Well, the first day, I got to say, they were really nervous. But after that, though, um, they would walk out of there every day and they'd be like, oh, my goodness, did you know so-and-so? They were in the war and they did this and that. So it was very, very, it was very heartwarming and rewarding altogether. See so many different levels. And that's why I wanted to make sure that the listeners got to hear that, your passion in your heart. Um, because, you know, you talked about the passion for the content, but one of the things that, you know, we won't be able to dive too far into, but I just know and I've seen is your love for kids. And that has been demonstrated over and over and over and over again in these past 21 years, where I think if we had a whole other podcast episode, you would be able to share all of the wonderful examples you had, not even precluding our nephews <laughs> that you are able to teach, which is amazing. What a gift. Um, but I just want to thank you. And I'm so glad that you got to share that community base. There's so many layers to what a teacher does every single day and what you do to impact the lives of the kids in your community and broader. And so I wanted to thank you for that. And I feel like it might be the perfect way to end here before we get to our two standard questions to talk about your impact on my husband, your brother, because I don't know. I've only actually heard this story from his lens, but I feel like you are pretty hefty in responsibility for the kids that he's impacted over the years, which is what 19 years that he's been teaching. Do you want to talk about your influence on getting him to choose education as a career? <laughs> well, I, you know, I think it was, I don't know if it was education as much. Uh, so my brother, Sarah's husband, uh, he and I both went to the same college and it's kind of funny because when he chose to go to the, the same uh, institution that I did right away was because he was going to be in athletics there. And it was funny because this is the funniest story about the entire thing is I remember him telling the coach, well, coach, I won't be able to be where I'd like to be on campus. Cause by then, by the time he had gone and visited, it was into June. And he's like, well, Joe, where do you want to be? I don't know, somewhere by my sister. Oh. We were literally like four <laughs> doors away from each other in the dorm room. I mean, there was like the girl section, the lobby thing. And then like my brother was two doors away. I'm like, we are closer than we were in the house pretty much. Um, so it was so fun having him there. We've always been pretty close. We had similar friends growing up. We would all be together all the time. Um, and so we were very, very close growing up. So it was great being at college with him. And I just remember him like going to the classes that he want, you know, was first majoring in and not loving them. There wasn't the passion. And I would, I would be like, Joe, what are you, what are you passionate about? What are you interested in? He's like, I don't know. I really like history. I'm like, well, then you should be a history teacher. I'm like, <laughs> you would be great at it. I'm like, and you love sports and you can coach and you can do, I just wanted him to do something that he, again, just like I was planning on doing, find your hobby, find your interests and find the job that fits that. It may not be the one that necessarily makes the most money, I'm, I'm an educator. I know, I knew darn well, it wasn't going to make me the most money. But did I know that it was going to make me happy? Yes, I knew it was going to make me happy. And so that would be my advice. And that's what the advice I gave my brother. Um, and he ended up switching majors and schools eventually because uh, UW Stout didn't have that as a program at the time. 
Um, and I, I, I think he's liked his journey in education. At least I hope he has. Um, but that's kind of the maybe the little nudge that I gave him. I don't know if it was anything more than a nudge, probably. Oh, it was and it mattered. And so I love that we have that archived here because, you know, being in your family, as I mentioned, I met your brother 20 years ago. And those conversations happened. Like we met at the college that he shifted to. So of course Mm -hmm. my listeners know, I believe there's no coincidence and, um, you know, that we were meant to meet. And I love the fact that, you know, he did go to college for track and I think he was environmental science or was it engineering all of a sudden? I can't remember, (laughs) but yeah, just that, that press and that push. And here he is 19 years in, um, he's been a social studies teacher all these years. And of course a coach and, uh, you know, those, the fact, is that teaching can get um, monotonous and it can get hard. Uh, And I think that our profession has not really been treated super well all the time in the media and in the daily life. But the two of you are fantastic educators. And I'm so grateful that whatever it was you did, whatever influence you had over him, that you press that. Uh, And I think I have a sense that you've done that for so many young people over the years that you may not even think about or know. And of course, they're not going to share it on a podcast, but it was just as important. So I wanted you to hear that. And I wanted to make sure to honor you with that because it's an amazing piece of your story and his and mine. So thank you for that. (laughs) So I hate that this interview is over. I think we could talk for, we could have you featured on so many different episodes. I'm glad that we're able to share your passion and hopefully, you know, what it could be doing for people who are listening is igniting their own and helping to remember them, you know, remind them to keep fresh and excited and your passion is just coming through and I love, love, love it. But I want to make sure that I get to this two standard questions. So are you ready for those? Sure. The first one is if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? I would probably write myself a letter uh, looking back now, um, as far as if I was younger. And I would probably tell myself to just let go of all of those all of those things growing up. And I was just having a conversation with a coworker today. As I teach high school students, I see them all the time. Uh, and uh, young adults do it. Adults do it all the time. You put so much pressure on yourself um, thinking about the life that you may lead or the direction your life may go in. And in reality, you just need to let things happen and find joy in whatever may be. I, I always draw a map for the kids. I'm like, okay, here is the trajectory of your life. And here's what you think is going to happen. And then I always scribble and basically make loops and stars and all these different things. I'm like, this is how your life is actually going to go. I'm like, <laughs> you don't necessarily know uh, when those hills and valleys are going to fall and, and when you're going to be climbing a hill or, you know, have to turn around and take a new direction. But you just have to be willing to do so. Um, and I think not necessarily making those expectations for yourself um, or even it be, being more flexible in my expectations probably would be what I would tell myself uh, earlier on. Just because it will save a lot of heartache, a lot of sleepless nights, just knowing that in the end, things work out, things are okay. Um, and life goes on and life moves on day by day and you just need to stop and find the joy in the moment probably more than anything. 
So those are deeply inspiring words that would impact us. And I love visualizing you giving that message to your students. And of course, we didn't dive into a lot of personal stories, but I just take it from me, listeners. This is coming from a woman who has seen a lot and has um, risen from a lot and is resilient and is deeply inspiring. So those are really beautiful words. How about this one? If we have listeners who find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt and they need to hear your voice to help them rise up out of it, what would you say? I would say... um, that if you're finding yourself in a in a hard time or in a pit of doubt or fear, really what you have to do is take one step at a time. So you don't have to have a full plan. You don't have to know what's gonna what your life's gonna look like or how things are gonna maybe look a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. All you need to know is, all right, today this is what I, I'm going to do. And maybe make yourself small goals and remind yourself to take time for yourself. In addition, you have to, I always uh, think back to the book, um, seven, the seven habits of what healthy teens or healthy individuals. And one of them is sharpen the saw. Um, and the reason I always think about that is people get so busy in life trying to fulfill everything and be everything um, to other people, to their families, to their work, and they're giving and giving and giving, and they never, ever let themselves take a moment to relax, take a moment for themselves to regenerate, to rejuvenate. And so if you're having a moment where you're really in a pit of fear or you're having doubt, first of all, take some time, do something that is Uh, just for you. And it doesn't have to be long. It could be five minutes. Maybe it's that cup of hot coffee and well, drinking it while it's actually hot. Um, That could be the moment that you need. And try not to set too many expectations for yourself. Um, Just take one thing at a time. I'm a list maker. So I'm an organizational junkie. uh, And that is pretty much the advice I can give is, Organize yourself, but just cross off those things one thing at a time. And don't worry so much about the rest. Um, it, w- it will come. Such great advice. And I love that idea, especially the current context of where we're all living is that we don't know what's up over the you know edge of that pit once we get out of one, if we'll be tripping into another. So that you know, next step and that day by day is huge. So thank you for that. All right, Michelle, I'm going to make sure to link that video that I referenced so that listeners can follow and see that and see your brilliance. And I'm so grateful. I get to have you for the rest of my life and listeners get to have this episode. And I'm so grateful that you made the time. I know that you've been very busy in your overload teaching and being a mom and doing all of the beautiful work that you do in this world. So thank you so much for taking the time so that I could share your heart with my listeners. You're welcome. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.